The following message was recorded at Beth Zion Messianic Synagogue in Jackson, New Jersey. Join us every Saturday and learn to see the truth of Messiah through Jewish eyes. This portion is called Yitro, which means Jethro. And it refers to the fact that when Moses came with all of these people, there was his father-in-law, Yitro, who came out to meet him. And there's so much in this section that we can go into, and I'm just highlighting one specific point here. We know that in this section we have the Ten Commandments that are mentioned. We have in this section God speaking to the people. Uh, we have in this section where Jethro, Yitro, gave counsel to Moshe because he's wearing himself out trying to meet the needs of the people and gave him good guidance and insight. I also found it amazing that when you think about this, that the last time he saw Moses, Moses was going back to Egypt. He had a revelation from God. He was going to deliver all these people. Now, I don't know exactly what Yitro had in mind or thought about this as he left his family behind and went to Egypt to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. I've never really thought about it until this time when I was going through it that he comes out here and it mentions just briefly um, verse 10. Uh, verse uh, 7 says, Moshe went out to meet his father-in-law, prostrated himself and kissed him. Then after inquiring of each other's welfare, how you doing? Oh, fine. And you? Oh, good thing. Having good. They entered the tent. Moshe told his father-in-law all that Hashem had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardships they had suffered while traveling and how Hashem had rescued them. Yitro rejoiced, verse 9, over all the good that Hashem had done for Israel by rescuing them from the Egyptians. And then it says, Yitro said, Blessed be Hashem who has rescued you from the Egyptians and from Pharaoh, who has rescued the people from the harsh hand of the Egyptians. Now I know Hashem is greater than all other gods because he rescued you, those who were treated so arrogantly. Now, normally when I would read this, I would say, they're having a conversation. They tell him, we tell him what happened. Oh, it was amazing. We saw the power of God. The plagues came and all of this. But there's one thing that I hadn't thought about until I was reading it this time. And that is, Moshe didn't come back by himself and then go have a casual conversation, schmooze with his father-in-law in the tent and tell about all these wonderful stories that happened. Moshe came back with about a million people. <laughs> he came back with all of these people. Now, I don't know what was going through Yitro's mind when Moshe said, I've got to go and do this. He might have thought, oh, it's the last we're going to see of him. But he comes back not just with a story of deliverance. He comes back with a million people or however many it was. And he actually did it. He did what God said he would do. And he comes back. And it seems very casual, this conversation. And yet, these words that Yitro said take on a greater depth of meaning 
it wasn't just like we say, hi, how are you? Fine, and you? It wasn't casual. There was something stronger in this. When he says that Yisro said in verse 10, blessed be Hashem, who has rescued you from the Egyptians and from Pharaoh, who has rescued the people from the harsh labor of the Egyptians. Now I know Hashem is greater than all other gods because he rescued those who were treated so arrogantly. That phrase where as wonderful as Yitro was, as holy as he may have been, that statement, now I know that Hashem is greater than all other gods. Now I know there's no comparison. Now I know there is a power, the creator of all things. And I believe that that demonstration changed his heart as well. Because as much as you want to believe in your brother, in your, I mean your son-in-law, that he's going to be successful, it's going to be good for your daughter and the kids and everything else, when you come back and have delivered because God delivered. A powerful demonstration. All of his props for all the nation of former slaves and others who, a multitude, a mixed multitude that came along. This was a very powerful discussion that they were having. And then after this, he goes into uh, talking about how to minister to the people and not wear yourself out. But I want to take our attention to the, uh, the verses that we read. It says that Moshe went up to the Lord, and it says that uh, he spoke, and, and, and uh, what God told him to say, he said, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Anytime God is delivering people, it isn't just in a vacuum. It isn't just to say, well, there was this tyrant, I got rid of him, now you're free. Figure out what you want to do with the rest of your life. It was coming out of the bondage of slavery, coming out from the tyranny and the arrogance of the people and all of that. He says, I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to, not to a new land, to a new life. I brought you to myself. When it comes down to it, everything that God makes available to us focuses most importantly, on coming to Him, on experiencing His presence, on coming into a place where we have relationship. And just as Yitro spoke with Moshe on a relational level, God is speaking about wanting to bring us to Himself to have a conversation, to have interaction. And so the title for today is When God Speaks. When God speaks, well, the first thing we have to do is to be in his presence. We've got to be in his tent. We have to be there where we are face-to-face -face experiencing God's presence. Now, what happened here was that God spoke to Moses. Moses spoke to the people, what God said. And they said in verse 8, all that the Lord, or it says, all the people answered as one, Everything Hashem has said, we will do. Moshe reported the words of the people to the Lord. And you see this exchange. Their response was very positive. Whatever he says, we will do. But did they fully understand? Did they have 
that relationship with God yet. They didn't. And when challenges came, those words meant nothing. They heard, as it was, the voice of God. They saw the powerful clouds and the fire and all of this on the mountain. And we see throughout this section and what follows this demonstration of God's power that is going on. But this is before Moses goes up to get the tablets. This is before he goes into the mountain for 40 years. He lets them know in advance of them going, him going into the mountain a very strong teaching of what the Torah speaks about. They didn't get the Torah yet, but here they're getting teaching. He tells them not to follow and make idols of silver and gold. He tells them all of these things. There's a conversation. They hear, it says, as the shofar sounded, grew louder and louder, Moshe spoke, and God answered him with a voice. The bat kol, the voice of heaven, the voice of God spoke. The people were petrified to hear the voice of God speak to them. They didn't want to go face to face with God. They thought to hear God and to see God, they would die. They said, Moses, you hear from him and we'll do whatever he says. But without that personal intimacy with God, the words and even their declaration meant nothing. Because as soon as circumstances shifted, they went in all kinds of strange directions. As much as we would say, if I saw the power of God move, like they saw God move, I wouldn't doubt anything anymore because we saw God move in ways that were impossible. We say that. We say that like they said, whatever God says, we will do. But when little circumstances rise up in our lives, are we listening to what God is saying? When God speaks, remember the commercial years ago? When E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. But when God speaks, people respond in the positive manner. But again, much like we say, hi, how are you? Fine, and you? I mean, is that, it is a response. Clearly, you heard what they asked, but people are on cruise control and just simply say it without any engagement in relationship. God means what he says. There are no empty words with him. What are empty words? Well, you know, when we were growing up, <laughs> what was scary is this. When my kids were little, I remember saying something when we were driving, that I couldn't believe came out of my mouth. Because the last I heard it, I was little, and my dad did it. You know what that was? Don't make me stop this car. There's going to be consequences, right? <laughs> he said, no, no, don't stop the car. We'll do it. Yeah. I mean, you know, but hey, we didn't stop doing the things that we were doing, but we were annoying him. <laughs> and when I was driving, I said, I don't believe I just did that. I, I'm my dad. I just did the same thing.
But what is it about listening? We always talk about listen and obey. We tell our kids, listen and obey. And we ourselves rebel when God speaks. So what happens when God speaks? How do we respond? When God speaks, do we listen? Because with E.F. Hutton, it was a matter of financial security. When it comes to listening to the voice of God, it's our eternal security. It is our experience of everything that God makes available to us that pertains to life and godliness. Everything we have is from Him. But what happens when you have all these things around us and we don't have that communication? We begin to take for granted the things we do have. And if some of those things are challenged and we somehow lose some of that, we complain about the fact that He doesn't care. But are we listening to what he says? Are we listening with an attitude that gives lip service back to him, saying, whatever you say, we'll do? Or do we understand what God is opening up for us to be able to hear and see the voice of God coming to us? And how we respond to that makes such a difference. You know, it, it's amazing that right after this encounter, this is where the Ten Commandments is mentioned. This is where he says, have no other gods before you. This is where he says not to make gods of, of silver and gold. He goes through a whole series of things. And then right after this, he goes into other legal matters and other things about interaction in the community and all of these different things that are mentioned. And what do they do the first time he leaves them for 40 days? They do exactly the opposite of what God said to do, which means they heard his voice but they weren't listening. Listening in the sense of hearing, but not listening in the sense of, I'll listen to what you said, and I will do that. They said they'll do it, but it wasn't fully connecting. And what we want to be as a people of God is a people that connect, and that when God speaks, our ears perk up, our hearts perk up, our lives begin to take a different shape, a different approach. We begin to look around and say, are we measuring up to the things that God is calling us to do? And if not, not try to improve by ourselves, but say, God, how can I move forward in this? How can I increase in the way that you are wanting to work in my life? How can I be pliable to you and hear your voice? When they saw on the mountain, Yeshua had said to them in that passage we looked at in in Mark 9, he says, some of you are going to see the kingdom of God before you die. And what does it say? It says, six days later, he brings three of his disciples with him up on the mountain. And this incredible experience happens. All of a sudden, everything about him, Yeshua, is turned white whiter than any bleach could make, all of this. And all of a sudden, Eliyahu, Elijah, and Moshe are standing there. And in this vision, they're seeing them and not knowing what to do. Peter has a great idea. He says, all right, we're going to make a shelter for each one, a little sukkah booth for each one. And then, what he never imagined, a cloud comes over. Like in the days of the mountain, the experience we read earlier. 
And he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. And they fell as dead. And when they looked around, all they saw was Yeshua. And he tells them not to tell anybody about this vision. And the fact is that we see that even with that encounter, hearing the voice of God, later Peter still denied him. They still had fightings over who's more important. They had fightings over all that. They didn't get it. And so we read earlier today in the study about the passage I've mentioned before, but we happen to have it this morning also in there. When it says, in that day they'll say, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. We heal the sick in your name. And his response would be, I never got to know you. I never knew you. The whole purpose that we find throughout the scripture is to be restored into a relationship with God. Being restored into a relationship with God doesn't just mean that our sins are forgiven and when we die, we'll go to heaven. That is not the message of the scripture. The message of the scripture is that God he spells it out over and over again. He says, I will walk in the midst of you. I will be your God. You will be my people. He wants us to come face-to-face -face with Him, to have intimacy with Him. And through Messiah, we have access to be able to go put Him to put Him, face-to-face, and experience God's presence. As Jethro and Moshe spoke in intimate fashion, so we can speak with God in intimate fashion. If God means what He says, why do we act like what He says does it mean anything to us? Now, I say that because <laughs> how many times does God encourage us in some direction and we find ourselves listening to what our friends say or what others might think or we're so caught up with other things that they become more important than what God said? We do it all the time, don't we? In some manner, in some way, we say, yes, I love everybody, but I can't stand this guy. Get out of my way. I'm trying to get... It's like we, we don't really fully understand what he is saying. It's why over and over again in the Torah, it says, remember, don't forget. He tells them all of these things. The festivals are there to remind us of the way that God worked and moved, to remind us always how God's commitment to us is so strong and how we need to live in an intimate relationship with Him. We go on and we see overall in the New Covenant, the very same message is going forward. He is constantly saying this, and I mention this a lot, but it's so true. As you read through the New Covenant, you find them constantly encouraging the people to not go back to the old ways. Well, if they discovered the new way, why would they go back? If God said to do something, they said, whatever you said we will do, why did they not do it? The new covenant, humankind, is exactly the same. We hear it. It sounds good. We have an experience, an emotional term, you know, experience where we're crying out to God. We are weeping. We're repentant. We're all these things. And then as circumstances begin to develop around us, we forget what it was 
he said, or the power of what he said meant. And we diminish the value of what he said, and we choose to go with what our feelings say, or their circumstances say, or other people say. And we downplay the very things that God said. So when God speaks, we have to listen. When we listen, we have to engage in what he's saying and wrestle with those things and speak to him. And if there's questions, if we doubt, we don't just simply walk away. We say, Lord, I don't fully understand. I have a certain amount of unbelief. Help me with my unbelief. Help me to understand. And as we do, God begins to open up to us. When God speaks, we need to listen. You know, I mentioned again the E.F. Hutton thing. I know this is an old thing, but think about this. It says when people, when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. But let's add another phrase in there that's not in there. But do they invest? See, the whole thing of E.F. Hutton was getting them to invest in him because what he says has such substance that when you invest with him, your portfolio is going to look really good. So the question is, when E.F. Hutton speaks and people listen, are they just hearing what he says? How many of those who are listening in the commercial said, okay, please, now tell me how I should invest. Here's my money. Put it where it's supposed to be to produce the best results. That's never really brought out. The idea that most people have is the value of what he's presenting is so good that people listen. But do they listen to the point of saying, I heard what he said and it sounded really good, to where they say, I listened and I invested and the benefits of what he brought me in counsel has increased tremendously. There was investment. And so when we hear the Lord speak to us, when we read in the word what his promises say, if we say, yes, yes, I can quote it back to you. I can tell you everything about it. I believe it completely. Everything is true. Did you invest in what he said? Did you listen with an action that says, and I will do, and you do it? Or do you just give lip service and say, whatever you say, I'll do. And then immediately have the first thing that comes along and shifts our thinking that downplays the value of what he says. Isn't it interesting that when he says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, he talks about the idea that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty to what? To the pulling down of strongholds. Now, think about it again. He says the weapons of our warfare are mighty. You could stop there and say, I have mighty weapons from God's hand. I am filled with God's power. God's got it all available to me. But did you invest in that? Are you invested in that? Are you really believing it with everything you do? Or do you believe it as an affirmation in your head? He says, the weapons of our warfare are, are, are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And what kind of strongholds? Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What does that mean? That means there are imaginations and other ruminating words that come from others that are downplaying the value of what God said. 
You heard what he said when God speaks. But if we are fighting a spiritual warfare that is constantly wanting to downplay the value of what God says, to challenge his credibility in our lives, the next question is, who are we listening to? We're listening to the voice of God, but where are we investing ourselves? If we're investing in, <laughs> in the one who says, oh, no, it doesn't take all that. Well, yeah, you should do that and believe him, but sometimes you got to, look, God helps those who help themselves. Yeah, you know, I really can't count somebody else to it. You, you're now shifting, and so what you're doing is you're listening, but where are you investing? You're investing in the counsel of men. You're investing in the emotions and the experiences instead of investing in what sometimes is an unseen realm. What was it when he said to Abraham, go to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation? He didn't say to him, go to the land that I will show you, and in 25 years, when you're 100 years old, I'll bring you the child of promise. Question if he would even go. But he went, and each point he invested himself in what God said to do. God didn't tell him the whole thing in advance. He told him what he would do ultimately. But he said, go to the place I will show you. He stopped along the way and stayed in Haran for a while. But he still wasn't the same. It moved. He moved from where he was. But he listened to a different voice. And then when he listened to the voice of God, he went. And then he saw the promise that God made. He couldn't hear God say, everywhere you look and everywhere the souls you touch as I've given to you. He couldn't say that when he was Haran because he couldn't see it yet. He had to listen when it didn't seem like it was convenient to listen, like the council made sense or not. But as he went forward, God established face-to-face -face encounter, friend with God, experience in a way that each time he had a faltering when he said, she's my daughter, don't, my sister, don't say you're my wife. All of the things that were there were to say, God is in control. And you say, Abraham, the father of faith, listened. But he also listened to other things and invested himself in what he thought was a better idea. All of the patriarchs, all the people in Scripture ran through the same challenges, and these are the challenges that we go through as well. And so what do we do in those kind of places? We need to listen and obey you know, it's kind of interesting in the book of Hebrews. I mentioned before about the, the Bat Kol. You know, it's funny, too. Even in, we were looking in, in the study this past week, uh, in, in um, Mark 1, there was another encounter when Yeshua went to be immersed by Yohanan. Yohanan said, oh, I need to be immersed by you. This is not right. We shouldn't do this. But he listened. And then he heard something he didn't expect. Verse 11 of chapter 1 says, Then a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. I am well pleased with you. 
And then he was driven into the wilderness to be challenged by the adversary. Other people might have thought, hey, at that point, I've got my credentials. Let's go and do this. Part of the unseen plan was going and be challenged by the adversary, having the word to be able to stand against all of the challenges of the adversary. And he quoted back the word each time he was challenged. We go to the book of Hebrews. And what does it say here? You know, it's kind of interesting. Even in the Haftorah portion, Isaiah 6, uh, it says that he saw the Lord high and lifted up. He couldn't see the Lord high and lifted up until the year the king Isaiah died. Because Isaiah's focus was on the king and serving him. But once the king passed away and that was no longer his focus, it says that he was, saw the Lord clearly high and lifted up. His robe filled the temple. And he saw all of these things. Then I said, woe is me. I too am doomed because I'm a man of unclean lips living among a people of unclean lips. I've seen with my own eyes the king, Hashem Tzavaoth, the Lord of hosts. He experienced his lack in the presence of of the Almighty, he was humbled. Not by being humiliated, but by recognizing the presence of God was with him, and he humbled himself. And in this place, he didn't know what he was saying. He says, he hears the voice of the Lord saying, who will go? Who shall I send? Who will go for us? I answered, he nani, here am I, send me. To do what? He didn't know yet. But he heard the voice of God and responded to the one who had touched him with the coal and that he was cleansed. And being cleansed, he understood what that meant and he understood what it meant to be forgiven. And whatever it was that he needed, he said, here am I, send me. And he went, he responded, he listened and obeyed even when he didn't know what it was all about yet. And then God unfolds it to him. But I want to mention, and it's on the way to this passage in Hebrews 3. It says, therefore, as the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your hearts as you did in the Biddle quarrel. On that day in the wilderness when you put God to the test, yes, your fathers put me to the test. They challenged me, and they saw my works for 40 years, therefore, I was disgusted with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray. They have not understood how I do things. In my anger, I swore they would not enter my rest. And later he says, for we have become sharers of the Messiah, provided, however, that we hold firmly to the conviction we began with right through until the goal is reached. So what does it mean to say, Yes, I affirm, I'm in, count me in, you've got my hand raised, I'm doing it. Might be an event happening. I'm in. I have to pay in advance? Wait a second. Okay, I promise I'll give you Tuesday for a hamburger today. I mean, we play around. But what was interesting was, he says, for we have become sharers in the Messiah, provided, and this is where I say 
he's constantly bringing out the fact that we tend to listen to other voices. We tend to hear what God says and invest ourselves based on our feelings and on others. When we invest in the Lord, we invest in Him. He said, we have become sharers in the Messiah. Now, somebody might put that on a business card and say, I'm a sharer with Messiah. I've been called. But what are you doing? He says, provided, however, that we hold firmly to the conviction we began with right through until the goal is reached. The goal is reached when we enter into eternity. The goal is put before us. We press toward the mark, doing everything we can to listen to the voice of the Lord, to speak to Him face to face, to know Him, and to trust Him, and to see His hand move in ways we never imagined. And so He wants us to continually grow in these things. Today, if you hear His voice, don't just say, Count me in. When you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. That's the natural tendency. Even at the moment, like I said, could there have been a more powerful experience up to this point in Peter's life than to see this manifestation of Eliyahu and Moshe and Yeshua in radiant glory all there, and then on top of that, the voice of God comes down. Listen to him. How is it that later he says, you don't have to die? He said, have, he said just before that, he said, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. He said, he said, this is not revealed to you by man. This is from heaven. He said, Upon this rock, I build my congregation. All these different things. And then right after that, he tells about his death that's coming. And he says, you don't have to die. What was he doing? He was acknowledged for listening and having the right words and understanding where it was. But when it came to hearing that he would die, he invested in a different concept. I'm sure we can work this out. And he says to him, get behind me, Satan. How do you move from hearing the voice of God to get behind me, Satan, to the same person? Because we have to be continually investing in what we hear from God. We have to continually be investing ourselves into the reality of what God is bringing for us. We have to listen, and we have to, even when we don't understand, be transformed by the Spirit of God. Transform, it says that, that, that to, to transform our minds by God's Spirit. We are to be transformed by God, which means that we don't just go by what circumstances say. Now, I'm saying this, and I'm saying this from the same standpoint that I know that Moses, who was speaking faith to the people and was frustrated with their unbelief and their lack of cooperation and their complaining, and then Moses, at one point, who clearly was the one who listened, spoke face to face with God, experienced all of this, and at one point, 
He's so frustrated, he acts on his own, and God said, speak to the rock. And he does, he says, I'm really upset with you guys. There, you got your water. But he just lost his connection. And he says, you're not going in the land. Never backed off from that. If anybody could listen to God, Moses was one who did. And yet he was also subject to investing himself in a different model. So when I'm saying this, I'm saying it to myself as well. We need to be making sure our election is sure, making sure that we're investing in what he is saying and doing what he says to do and trusting him when circumstances seem like they're not possible to work out. Nothing is impossible with God. And so we need to be able to do this. It says, today, if you hear his voice, he doesn't say, today, if you hear his voice, listen to him and try your best to do what he says. He says, if we, if we don't do that, what he's saying is, today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your hearts as you did at the bitter quarrel. Didn't enter in. What does that tell us? He's saying, if you hear God's voice and you begin to invest yourself in other ways, your hardening of your heart will be underway and you may not even see it coming. And yet, as we invest ourselves in him and grow in that relationship and embrace all that Messiah purchased for us, we begin to see unfold for us things that we never imagined, to see the glorious manifestation of his presence. Instead of trying to figure it out, we just bask in that presence. We make decisions based on what his word says and how his spirit speaks to us through his word. We look at people, and even if it goes against us, we say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And we love them beyond what they do or don't do to us. Doesn't mean you give them your whole portfolio and let them invest it for you either. But if we give ourselves to him in the way that he demonstrates to us, and doesn't he say to love the same way I have loved you and gave himself for us? How do we do that? Only by coming to him face to face and addressing and really understanding what our responsibility is when we hear God speak. When God speaks, we want to listen and respond and invest in what he is saying by his spirit. Lord, we thank you for this time in your word and we thank you for all of your blessings. We ask you, O oh God, to help us to really more and more deeply understand what it is that you are saying. And that same thing in, in Mark 1, it says he spoke with authority, not like the scribes and the Pedashim. 
He spoke with authority. And on top of that, when he spoke, the demonic world was upset. People were healed. People were delivered. There was a demonstration that followed his adherence to what he heard the Father and saw the Father doing. Lord, we want to be able to do the same thing. You said that the works that I do shall you do also, and greater works than these shall you do because I go to the Father. Lord, how is it we don't even come close to what you did, and you say you'll do beyond, we'll do beyond what you did. I know that it means that we need to hear you speak and we need to come to you face to face and we need to humble ourselves before you and we need to be in a position to be able to invest who we are in, in you and see you bring about the dividends that we don't even know exist. You're exceeding great and precious promises that are made available to us. Lord, help us to not let our response that our verbal response to your words would be empty words, but that our words would be followed by actions that follow what your word says. Lord, help us to understand what it really means to hear your voice when you speak to us, that we would not just give lip service, but have the actions and the investments that follow. We thank you, Lord. For anybody here who doesn't know Messiah, that's the beginning. That's the introduction. If you've never asked Messiah into your life, take the first step and let him come in. You can't see, just like Abraham couldn't see the promised land till he entered into it. So there are certain elements to the relationship that we can't see until we ask him in. And when we do, he begins to unfold to us all the mysteries and all of these other areas to work in us, to will and to do of his good pleasure. So I want to encourage you that we're going to have people up here praying. If you've never asked Messiah into your life, to pray with somebody and do that. If you have questions, I'd be happy to talk with you afterwards. But that's the first step to seeing God move. If the message speaks to you and you say, boy, I hear God speaking in that, don't say, good message. Tell me what your investment is going to be. And I don't mean in the building fund or any of that. I'm saying, what is your investment in your life going to be when you hear God speaking to you? And ask Messiah in and let him change your life forever. Lord, we thank you for all this. In Yeshua's name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To learn more about Beth Zion, please visit our website at www.bethzion.org.